On today's episode of Just an Ordinary Introvert, we'll be discussing Aaron Witt's and Groke's theory of resistance and Willis's theory of cultural production at Central High Continuation. I will be addressing how schools perpetuate the school-to-prison pipeline through policies and curriculum that are put into place that have direct effects on the students. I want to explore the ways that teachers and students participate in resistance. I will use my personal experiences to explore how I perform resistance and examples for my students and their resistance. While addressing resistance and cultural production, I will be focusing on the school that I work at, which is a continuation school located in Los Angeles, and it is part of LAUSD. Central High School's mission statement is, and I quote, a multi-site district-wide drop-off prevention and credit recovery school. We provide cultural relevant, engaging, student-centered, standard-based instruction that fosters college and career readiness. Our mission is to promote educational and social equity throughout our school, to support foundational skill building while providing grade level instruction, to facilitate intellectual and social growth, to, re to rekindle the joy and love of learning, to communicate and collaborate, to nurture social and emotional wellness, to provide a safe, accepting and supportive setting so that students have an opportunity to creatively explore and clarify their own beliefs and values, to take acceptable academic risks without judgment, and to think and speak for themselves. This quote can be found on their website under mission statement. But what I want to highlight is the school's mission statement because they claim to want to promote educational and social equity, to rekindle the joy and love of learning, to provide supportive settings, uh, academic risks without judgment, and they want students to speak and think for themselves. Although the school claims that this is their mission, I have experienced the opposite happen within school policies and school curriculum. If you're not familiar with how a continuation school works, I will give you the breakdown of how we work at Central High. So the logistics of how the school itself functions is a bit complicated. Central High School Tri-C is divided into 25 different school sites that are spread across Los Angeles from downtown LA as far as San Pedro. The main office, aka headquarters, is located at the center of downtown. This is where the office staff and admins such as the principal, um, our two assistant principals, um, and the office workers are usually at. We have two different continuation programs offered at our school. Central High is four hours long, and students only have four class periods, while Tri-C is six hours long, and they have a total of six class periods. My school site is called Central Academy, and we are located in the Westlake area behind Belmont High. We are in a private lot that has its own gate and it has a total of four bungalows. Three of them are used as classrooms and one of them is used as an office. We don't have any admin staff on site. If there is an emergency where admin needs to be contacted, they are about 15 to 20 minutes away driving. The staff on site are a total of three teachers, me included, and one teacher assistant. I am one of the two ELD teachers that we have in our 25 different sites. 
and my class only consists of English learners and a majority of my students immigrated from Guatemala. I am in charge of teaching four subjects, English, math, social studies, and science. And I have a total of 26 students on my roster and they are with me for the whole day, meaning the four hours of schooling, like four and a half hours of schooling. <laughs> Although we are in the 21st century and there are laws put in place against segregated schools, there are hidden curriculums that continue to perpetuate white supremacy that target immigrant students. In the past, there was an influx of Mexican migrant coming to the United States, but in the past few years, there has now been an increase of Central American migrants from El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. Huber states that more than 189,000 people reached the U.S. border in June of 2021, the highest number ever seen for one month in more than 20 years. Numbers kept climbing uh, the following months that year. According to the Refugees International, Guatemalans have fled violence to Mexico and the United States in large numbers since the 1980s. Today, the most prominent causes of Guatemalan forced displacement are violence, impunity, corruption, poverty, lack of security and services, uneven development, droughts, and hurricanes. These data sets are significant because with the incline of immigrant refugees, there are more migrant children enrolling into schools in the United States. These new migrant students will be placed into schools where English is the dominant language and they will have to assimilate to the American culture. You might be wondering why is this important and how does it connect to resistance theory, at least my resistance as a teacher, as an educator. This is relevant because as a high school teacher and ELD teacher, I have firsthand experience with the school policies that affect Central American students. I teach at a school, like I said, located in Westlake community, which ancestry and immigration population, according to the Los Angeles Times in 2008, Mexicans being 35%, Guatemalans 6.7 are the most common ancestries, and at least 70,000, so 60, 60 7% of residents are foreign born, which is high for the city of Los Angeles and high for the county. 36% are Mexican and 17% are Salvadorian for most common foreign places of birth. I believe that with an updated census, the numbers will have dramatically increased based on immigration rising trends with the last couple of years that have passed. When I was hired for my current position as an ELD teacher, I was told to use only the English language to teach and speak to my students and to have them also speak to me only in English. The principal stated that if needed, I can introduce some content in Spanish, such as a five minute video. After I'm only required to speak Spanish, like to expose them to the dominant language. Even without legislation, schools enforce the use of English in the classroom. My students told me that their previous teacher within this ELD classroom only spoke to them in English and they were required to respond back to her in English as well. 
the students said that they purposely missed school because they did not feel welcomed in the classroom culture the previous teacher had built. Uh, one example would be uh, one of the ELD students told me that she immigrated to the US about three years ago and has not been to school in the past two years because when she was at a comprehensive high school, teachers did not translate the content and therefore she did not understand the material. She stated that the teacher only spoke English in all her courses and she was expected to meet the same standards as the students who were fluent in English. These unrealistic expectations pushed onto immigrant and EL students maintain white supremacy by enforcing the deculturalization of students' native languages. Schools claim that their main goal is to help immigrant students become successful, which is measured through reclassification by passing the LPAC, which is an exam that determines whether students have met writing, reading, and speaking proficiency skills in English. Migrant students are placed into classrooms with an unfamiliar language and culture and are expected to take multiple, multiple tests in English, which is foreign to them, and they are expected to succeed. Many of my students are EL1s and 2s, and I already have a difficult time speaking, writing, and having comprehension in English. I feel that forcing English 24-7 on students is not productive and does not create a safe nor welcoming learning environment. I participate in teacher resistance by speaking Spanish to my students. I understand that learning content in a foreign language is difficult. When I teach my lesson, I do teach them in English, but I always translate in Spanish, provide Spanish copies or videos. I allow my students to answer in Spanish as well, because I notice when I do ask for students to only respond in English, most of them do not want to speak up and do not engage in the lessons. Resistance theory, as Aaron Whitson Grooks state, calls attention to the need for radical educators to unravel the ideological interest embedded in the various message systems of the school, particularly those embedded in its curriculum, systems of instruction, and modes of evaluation. Resistance theory suggests that radical educators must develop a critical rather than a pragmatic relationship with students, rejects the idea that schools are simply institutional sites by not politicizing the notion of culture, but also analyzing school cultures within the shifting terrain of struggle and concession, highlights the complexity of student responses to the logic of schooling. I want to use resistant theory because as an educator, I am noticing the hidden curriculum in my school that does not help my students succeed in school. I question the logic of the state standards and the expectations that are placed on EL students. I also want to highlight how school policies can also cause students to act in student resistance. Oftentimes, student resistance can turn into cultural production. Paul Willis's theory of cultural production refers to the emergent culture as that process of continuous creation of new meanings and values, new practices, new significances, and experiences. Culture practice can be used in schooling as a way of actively converting ideolo ideologies and frameworks. It is more than just resistance because it 
It is constantly developing in individuals. I want to use this theory as well because the student who I will mention that uses resistance not only resists schooling, but is a self-thinker and is invested in his education even though he displays resistance. At the continuation school, students are required to sign a contract to follow school policies when they enroll. The contract consists of various regulations such as no wearing gang affiliated clothing, no drugs, no weapons, and more, which are policies that all schools have. But our school takes it a step further. First, students have to turn in their cell phones to their teachers before they enter class. If students are caught with their phone, they have three warnings before it is confiscated and they need to have a parent meeting with the principal in order to get the phone back and to discuss plans on whether they need to switch to a different school site. The second is that students are not allowed to bring backpacks. If a backpack is brought to school, I, as a teacher, need to collect their backpack and lock it up. Another rule that the school put in place is that students need to be guided to the restroom and only one student at a time can enter. So basically us teachers, whoever is the one guiding the students to the restroom has to stand outside of the door, outside of it, where we can peer into it. We can kind of see what's going on. And the students have to keep the restroom door open um, and obviously, how I said, only one student at a time. Another thing, another point that I want to make clear is that the school entrance gate is locked. So there's like an actual lock with key that we have to use. Uh, so students can only enter or leave when a staff member unlocks the gate. These policies and rules put in place almost resemble panopticon which is designed to allow prisoners of an institution to be observed by a single security guard in this case the teachers are the security guards and the students are the prisoners this is the connection that i have made with how my school runs their policies the previous policies that i just mentioned have to deal with the following story about a previous student of mine, which I will call him John. I was John's new teacher at the time, and I personally had no biases towards him because I didn't know him, it was a new student, and I treat all my new students the same. I didn't even bother to check his student background report. The other two teachers at the site with me had told me that John was presumed to be affiliated with the gangs in Guatemala before he immigrated to the United States. And that even now he had connections with the gangs in his current community. I was constantly told by the other teachers that I had to keep a close eye on him because he has, he has been known to be aggressive with the teachers. John always came late to my class, meaning he would miss the daily routine where I would collect students' phones and backpacks. When I asked John to turn in his cell phone and backpack, he had felt as if I were targeting him. He stated that because of the way he looked, I targeted him 
like all his past teachers. I tried to explain to him that was not my intention and that I am following school policies. And I reminded him of the contract he signed when he enrolled into the school. I remember one day he had seen another student with a backpack from a different classroom and again accused me of discriminating him because of the way he looked. I told him that I do not control the rules in other classrooms. I just have to make sure that the that my class is following school policy. I have told my students countless times that I do not want to take away their phones. I do not want to collect their backpacks. I do not want that responsibility. But I do not want to get in trouble with my administration or school principal if they were to walk in and notice that students still had their backpacks or their cell phones, which is why I try to maintain this policy and keep it in place. Like I said, I rather not have to deal with that, but it's something that I, as a teacher at this school site, am required to do. Almost every day when John came to school, he refused to turn in his cell phone and his backpack. He was demonstrating student resistance because he was aware of the unjust policies he and his peers are forced to follow. Although John demonstrated resistance towards school policy, he always came to class, worked on his assignments, he was really good at math and participated in class discussions. He told me he enjoyed reading biographies of historic figures. He was a very intelligent student and demonstrated academically that he wanted and graduate. John was eventually removed from our school site due to gang affiliation. But John was a self-thinker and was invested in getting his diploma. He demonstrated cultural production. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode and see you all next week.